Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A group of pro-life activists are facing federal charges. Their alleged activities at the Tennessee abortion clinic could put them behind bars. President Biden pardons thousands of people convicted of marijuana possession and orders a review of the drug's legal status. A judge rules DACA illegal. What the ruling means for the Obama-era program and the illegal immigrants that it's shielding from deportation. A Texas death row inmate whose religious accommodation case went to the Supreme Court was executed. Because of his case, death chambers will no longer be the same. Painful news from California. A family who was kidnapped is found dead. One suspect is arrested and authorities are investigating to determine if another was involved. And one of the deadliest massacres in Thailand ever. Over 20 children killed after a man launches an attack at a daycare. The Justice Department indicted 11 pro-life activists Wednesday, allegedly for blocking the entrance to an abortion clinic. The Daily Signal reports the FBI raided one activist's home. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. In March 2021, a group of pro-life activists allegedly blocked the entrance of an abortion clinic. That's according to a Justice Department statement released on Wednesday by the Tennessee U.S. Attorney's Office. The individuals were indicted for violating the FACE Act. The FACE Act, or the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act, prohibits demonstrators from blocking access to abortion clinics. Seven of the activists were charged with conspiracy and face up to 11 years in prison and a fine of up to $250,000, while the remaining four, accused of other violations, could be fined as much as $10,000 and get up to a year in prison. Another pro-life activist associated with the group told the Daily Signal that the FBI raided the home of one of the charged activists with guns drawn. The DOJ alleges the protesters planned a blockade at the Carafum Health Center Clinic and blocked the clinic's entry doors and prevented a patient and an employee from entering. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. President Biden today pardoned all federal offenses for simple marijuana possession. He also announced he's starting a review of how the drug is classified, the first major steps toward decriminalization. The move fulfills a campaign promise and is likely to please Biden's voter base. It also comes ahead of the November midterm elections. Biden is urging state governors to follow suit, but said that important limitations on trafficking, marketing and underage sales of the drug should remain. The Biden administration is reportedly preparing to ease sanctions on Venezuela so the South American country can increase oil production. That's after OPEC announced its plans to decrease production. The Wall Street Journal reports that the Biden administration is on its way to scale back sanctions against Venezuela so that Chevron Corporation can resume pumping oil there. That would reportedly reopen doors to the American and European oil markets for Venezuela. The journal reports that the U.S. expects the Maduro regime to cooperate with Venezuela's opposition and hold free and fair elections in 2024 in exchange for the sanctions relief. That comes after OPEC Plus announced they'll cut oil production by 2 million barrels per day, their biggest decrease since 2020. Earlier this year, President Biden tried to get OPEC to increase production. 
Rock Zierman is the vice president of the Domestic Energy Producers Alliance. He tells NTD turning to Venezuela is the wrong thing to do at this time. At a time when uh, we have war in Eastern Europe, uh, when we have the hurricane season in the Gulf, uh, now is the time to be harnessing our own energy resources. It is not the time to go begging to dictators all over the world to please give us the energy, which we have here at home, if we were just given permission to go out and harness it. The Biden administration has been criticized in the past for not increasing domestic oil production. The White House responded that domestic producers already have leases that they're not using. Zierman says having a lease doesn't automatically mean being able to get oil. Having a lease is only the first step of a long journey to actually getting permission to drill. You have to do environmental review. Um, then you have to prove whether or not there's oil there. Just because somebody gets a lease doesn't necessarily mean that there's oil there. It's, it's, it's perspective. Biden's National Security Council reportedly pointed out that democratic progress in Venezuela is key for their oil production, saying there are no plans to change our sanctions policy without constructive steps from the Maduro regime. They say the deal can still fall through if the conditions aren't met. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. And President Biden is in New York today touting the Chips and Science Act. He spoke on new investments and guardrails to protect them from ending up in China. NTD's Iris Tao has more. Touring an IBM plant in upstate New York, President Biden vows to help America lead the next decade by boosting chip production. This is about economic security, folks. It's about national security. The United States has to lead the world in producing these advanced chips. IBM announced a $20 billion investment in New York to develop and manufacture semiconductors and more. And the White House says the announcements are part of a manufacturing boom fueled by the Chips and Science Act that Biden signed to law in August. The law provides over $52 billion for the chip manufacturing industry in the U.S. And Biden says it will help solve a domestic chip shortage and help the U.S. gain an edge over China. China is trying to move ahead of us in manufacturing them. It's no wonder, literally, the Chinese Communist Party actively lobbied against the Chips and Science Act that I've been pushing in the United States Congress. Biden also stressed that there are guardrails preventing federal subsidies included in the package from being used to invest in China instead. We're going to make sure the companies that take these taxpayers' dollars do not turn around and make investments in China, investments that undermine our supply chains and national security. That's a guarantee. Just weeks ago, Biden visited another chip plant in Ohio. And as midterms approach, the president has sought to capitalize on such investment announcements, touting them as his legislative wins. And after giving the speech, Biden's also attending two Democratic fundraisers, both on Thursday. And a busy schedule comes as the party tries to defend a slim majority in both the House and the Senate. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. A federal appeals court reaffirms that DACA is illegal. DACA is the Obama-era program that shields certain illegal immigrant minors from deportation. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with more details on what this ruling means for the current recipients and the future of the program. 
So this latest ruling essentially means that the future of DACA is uncertain, though the program remains intact for now. So current DACA recipients that accounts for around 600,000 people will continue to get their benefits. They can reapply for benefits and they'll continue to get employment authorization, etc. Um, so while that group is not affected by this, new applicants are. For initial applicants, as they call them, aren't going to be able to receive benefits until this uh, litigation reaches an end, which could be years from now. This latest ruling simply reaffirms what Texas Judge Andrew Hannon ruled back in July of 2021. He determined that DACA, which stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, was created illegally. For one, because Congress never gave the executive branch the authority to cancel deportations for illegal immigrants. And secondly, because the Obama administration did not go through the proper procedures to create the program. If the Biden administration files a formal appeal, the case will go to the U.S. Supreme Court. In addition, the Supreme Court is already set to hear another case regarding immigration enforcement. But the Supreme Court is going to hear that case in December. The decision in that case is actually going to have a huge bearing on whether or not the Biden administration can continue to ignore the laws that Congress has written and allow, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people into the United States a month. And Congress still has not taken any solid action on immigration. Democrats and Republicans remain at a stalemate on the issue. And this is especially frustrating for immigration advocates who say the only way to save DACA after this latest ruling is for Congress to pass a law to protect young immigrants. The House has twice passed a bill that would provide a pathway to citizenship for DREAMers, although that legislation has not garnered enough support in the Senate to get it to the White House. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A federal judge in New York today blocked parts of the state's new gun law. U.S. District Judge Glenn Sudeby ruled that key elements of the law were unconstitutional. The temporary injunction blocks the statewide ban on carrying firearms on some public and private properties. It also blocks new requirements for background checks for gun permits, which include handing over social media accounts, as well as the requirement that an applicant has to provide evidence of good moral character. The decision is on hold for three days to allow the state to challenge it in a higher court. New York Attorney General Letitia James said her office would appeal. And a recently published study revealed that men who identify as women have a physical advantage over biological women, even after years of taking estrogen. That came as no surprise, according to an attorney who says a high school policy deprived her clients of state championship opportunities. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. A recent study published by the British Journal of Sports Medicine found that men on hormone therapy had greater muscle strength than biological women. The study's objective was to evaluate performance and muscle strength in men who started hormone therapy after reaching puberty. Studies show that even after a couple years of testosterone suppression, it doesn't undo the physical advantages that males inherently have. The study looked at men who began taking estrogen and other agents between the ages of 12 and 35. They took the hormone for an average of 14 years. Christiana Kiefer, senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, is representing a group of female athletes in Connecticut who she says were prevented from advancing in their sports. So why don't you tell me about uh, the case that you have brought uh, on appeal in Connecticut? 
Yes, well, starting in 2017, first one male and then two male athletes began to compete in girls' sports in Connecticut, and it had a devastating impact on girls across the state. In fact, those two male athletes won 15 women's state championship titles over the course of just three years, and they impacted my clients. They deprived them of advancement opportunities, of state championship titles, and the opportunity to compete in front of college scouts. The case was dismissed last year because the athletes had graduated. NTD asked the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference how their policy meets the requirements of federal law. Their spokesman said in an email they have no comment. But Kiefer is going forward with the case and says it's important to prove how federal law protects equal opportunities for female athletes. She hopes to restore her clients' winning records. What I think it does is it highlights what would happen across the country if the Biden administration has its way. As I'm sure you're aware, President Biden has proposed changes to Title IX that would rewrite biological sex to include gender identity and uh, by means of that open up women's sports teams to members of the opposite sex. We know that has a devastating impact on female athletes and we, we truly hope that the Biden administration will not take this unlawful step um, that would so negatively impact girls across the country. Kiefer says if her appeal is denied, she is prepared to take the case to the Supreme Court. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. A Texas death row inmate whose case redefined the roles of spiritual advisors in death chambers was executed last night. And because of a Supreme Court ruling, the inmate's request for religious accommodations was met as he died. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Texas death row inmate John Henry Ramirez, who was 38 years old, was executed by lethal injection on Wednesday. But this execution was different. Because of a Supreme Court ruling in March, Ramirez's pastor was permitted to lay his hands on Ramirez's chest and pray aloud over him as he was executed. Ramirez's pastor, Dana Moore, spoke with KRIS 6 News before the execution. I'm praying for everybody in this whole process for peace, uh, for encouragement and comfort for whatever that looks like. Ramirez was sentenced to death for murdering a convenience store clerk, 46-year-old Pablo Castro, in 2004. Ramirez challenged the state prison rules that prevented his pastor from touching him and praying aloud during the execution, saying his religious freedom was being violated. And as his legal case went on, his execution date was delayed for years, as well as the executions of others. The victim's son said this about Ramirez in 2021, 17 years after his father's murder. He's, he's had a power over me for such a long time, and I don't like to admit that, but he has. Ramirez was pronounced dead at 6.41 p.m. on October 5th. He directed some of his last words to the victim's family, saying, I have regret and remorse. This is such a heinous act. I hope this finds you comfort. If this helps you, then I am glad. I hope in some shape or form this helps you find closure. The family of Pablo Castro told the item, a Huntsville media outlet, that they did find closure following the execution, although one of Castro's sons said the inmate's apology meant nothing to him. Castro's son, Fernando, said this, In the end, our dad's hard work did not go in vain, because through all this we have gone through, without his presence, we've remained as he wanted us to be, hardworking men and women with integrity. 
Because Ramirez challenged the state's religious accommodations, pastors can now touch inmates and pray out loud in death chambers during executions. Ramirez's attorney commented on the Supreme Court's decision. Every time one of these cases goes up to the Supreme Court, there seems to be this sort of landslide effect in favor of religious liberty. I think that's something that needs to be taken into uh, account. There's a reason why that result obtains. That is what society has chosen to do through its democratic institutions. Jason Perry, NTD News. The family of four who were kidnapped earlier this week, sadly, have been found dead. A suspect has been identified and arrested. Four family members, including an eight-month-old baby girl, were found dead on Wednesday evening after they were abducted from their trucking business in Merced, in California's Central Valley on Monday. County Sheriff Vernon Warnke confirmed the deaths of the baby, her mother, father, and uncle. He said they were found in a rural area after a farm worker alerted authorities. We've got uh, crime labs coming in from the uh, Department of Justice, and we're going to be most of the night processing the scene. There's, just, there's no words right now to, to describe the anger I feel and senselessness of this incident. Police showed video surveillance of the family getting kidnapped at gunpoint, with their hands apparently zip-tied. By Tuesday, the sheriff's office identified 48-year-old Jesus Manuel Salgado as a person of interest in this investigation. He was taken into custody and is currently getting medical attention and in critical condition after an attempted suicide. Relatives of the family made a tearful plea for help earlier on Wednesday for the public's help to find clues on their whereabouts. We are devastated. We are shocked. We are dying every moment, not finding any clues. So if anyone has seen anything, even a small interaction, somebody at the gas station, somebody buying something uh, where, where the suspect was taking them, any shifting of cars when he was doing that or, or if he was doing that, so please do come forward. Any small lead could, could get us to, to our family. Family members said nothing was stolen from the trucking company, but their relatives were all wearing jewelry. The sheriff said they do not know the reason for the kidnapping, but he believes it was financially motivated. Police are trying to determine if another person is involved. And staying in California, the new medical misinformation bill is already facing a lawsuit from two doctors. Last week, a group gathered on the steps of the California Capitol building to call on the governor to veto the bill. He ended up signing it just hours later. NTD spoke with one of the attorneys representing the case. What California is trying to do is shut down uh, doctors' free speech. It's trying to prevent doctors from giving us what they believe is the best medical advice. Daniel Sir, a managing attorney for the Liberty Justice Center, filed a federal lawsuit on October 4th for Dr. Jeff Barkey and Dr. Mark McDonald. The lawsuit is against the Medical Misinformation Bill, officially known as Assembly Bill 2098, which Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law at the end of September. Sir says the law is unconstitutional. We're asking a federal judge uh, to give us expedited relief uh, to stop the Medical Board of California from enforcing this law against doctors, to protect doctors' free speech rights, to protect patients' rights to receive this medical information, this medical advice from their doctors. 
The suit filed in Central California U.S. District Court is against the Medical Board of California and Attorney General Rob Bonta. After Newsom signed the bill, he released a message saying that he was concerned similar laws could have a, quote, chilling effect on doctors. The 14th Amendment in the Equal Protection Clause, it says that government is going to be neutral uh, among citizens uh, when we have differing views in a debate. And the problem here is that California is coming in and trying to force one view on all doctors. It, it's, it's Sir added that the government is continuously overstepping and going over its, quote, constitutionally appropriate role, and blocking that overstep wouldn't be possible without people standing up and taking legal action. I really appreciate that Dr. Barkey and Dr. McDonald have stepped up to participate in this lawsuit, to, to bring this case. Uh, we are only able to defend our constitutional rights and liberties uh, when we have people willing to step up and defend them in court. Carlos Viatoro, a spokesperson for the medical board, said the agency does not comment on pending litigation. Attorney General Rob Bonta's office said as of October 4th, it had not yet been served. Coming up, North Korea launches yet another round of ballistic missiles. The U.S., South Korea and Japan are responding. And in NBA news, LeBron James made known his Vegas retirement plans last night in a plea to NBA Commissioner Adam Silver. NTD's Dave Martin has those details. That and more coming up. Tragic news from Thailand. A man killed 37 people today, including 22 children, during a knife and gun rampage at a daycare center. It's the deadliest massacre in the country's history. Authorities say the assailant is a 38-year-old former policeman. After the attack at the daycare, he went home to shoot his wife and child and then turned the weapon on himself. The attacker was dismissed from the force last year over drug allegations, according to the police. He faced trial and was in court on drug charges hours before the shooting. After leaving court, the assailant went to pick up his child at the daycare center in Uthe Sawan, more than 300 miles northeast of Bangkok. When he didn't find the child, he went on a knife and gun rampage. Most of the children who died were stabbed to death, police said. Thai Prime Minister Prayut Chanucha tweeted that the incident was shocking. The massacre is among the worst involving children killed by one person. In Norway, 69 people, mostly teenagers, were killed at a summer camp in 2011, while the child death toll in other cases includes 16 at Dunblane in Scotland in 1996 and 19 at a school in Uvalde, Texas this year. And in the Indo-Pacific region, the U.S. is conducting a missile defense exercise with South Korea and Japan. This is after North Korea conducted another missile test earlier today. North Korea on Thursday fired two short-range ballistic missiles, which landed in the sea off the Korean peninsula. This was the regime's sixth missile launch in less than two weeks. Hours later, North Korea also flew 12 warplanes near its border with South Korea. 30 warplanes from the south took off in response. Again, uh, we are still assessing the specific nature of the most recent launch, uh, which I will reiterate. Uh, posed an unacceptable threat to the region. Uh, and to take a step back, we again uh, condemn the DPRK's uh, October 5th ballistic missile launch. 
The North Korean regime accused the U.S. of ratcheting up tensions by sending the aircraft carrier USS Ronald Reagan to the region. Just hours after the launch, U.S., South Korean and Japanese warships conducted a missile defense exercise in the Sea of Japan. The State Department says more options are on the table. And of course, uh, we continue to have a number of tools in our tool belt, sanctions, other things, uh, to continue to hold the regime accountable. Uh, but I don't have any specific actions to preview, but the United States uh, is monitoring and watching closely. The two U.S. warships that took part in the exercise are both part of the USS Ronald Reagan Aircraft Carrier Strike Group. The U.S. Pacific Command said in a statement that the exercise is forward-leaning, reflective of our shared values, and resolute against those who challenge regional stability. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. NBA superstar LeBron James is still under contract with the Lakers for three more years, but the 37-year-old is already making known his retirement plans. James publicly asked Commissioner Adam Silver last night after an exhibition game in Las Vegas for his own NBA franchise in Sin City. James said, I would love to bring a team here at some point. That would be amazing. I know Adam is in Abu Dhabi right now, I believe, but he probably sees every single interview and transcript that comes through from NBA players. So I want the team here, Adam. James, who's the highest earning player in NBA history at more than $500 million, would likely pay a record franchise fee into the billions were he to get one. The NBA last expanded back in 2004 when the Charlotte Bobcats, now known as the Hornets, joined the league. Now owned by fellow superstar Michael Jordan, the team paid a $300 million franchise fee, which would be a bargain today. Forbes.com recently appraised the league's 30 franchises and valued 14 of the 30 teams at $2 billion and up, with the lowest being the Memphis Grizzlies at $1.5 billion. And in WNBA basketball news, Brittany Griner's wife, Sherelle, told CBS Mornings that her two-time gold medal winning wife is at her quote, absolute weakest moment in life right now, with her appeal set to be heard later this month. Shrell said that after the hearing, Brittany could be moved to a Russian labor camp. Griner was given a nine-year sentence back in August after authorities found vape cartridges in her luggage at a Moscow airport back in February. And tonight in sports, no baseball games are on the schedule, but the NFL is in action with the Colts visiting the Broncos on Amazon Prime's Thursday Night Football tonight at 8.15 Eastern. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. Well, that's all we have time for for now, but we'd like to keep the conversation going. And so we're also keen to hear what you think. So if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, please do email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. We look forward to connecting with you again soon. Till tomorrow, I'm Stephanie Cox.